This podcast is free and it's accessible to everyone thanks to support from listeners like you. If you value this show, please consider supporting its production by donating to our home, KUOW. It only takes a minute to give and you'll be helping to support the production of this podcast. Make a donation at KUOW.org or follow the link in the show notes. And thanks. Welcome to Friday. Welcome to KUOW's Week in Review. I'm Bill Radke. This week, I'm sitting in a room with three other humans. I've got political analyst and contributing columnist Joni Balter with me. Hi, Joni. Hey there. Good to see you. It's literally good to see, you. see you. Literally see you. Well, your mask. You know, yeah. I can't see your lips, but uh, hey. but I'm nice to see you. Independent healthcare journalist Joanne Silberner. Nice to see you again. Happy to be here. Seattle Times transportation reporter David Crowman. Hi, David. Hi. Thanks for having me. Thanks for hauling it in from where you used to uh, to do the show remotely. Kingston. Bainbridge? Kingston, yeah. Um, so we are, by the way, I haven't explained what Week in Review is for newcomers. You know, we, we do this every week. We do it in, uh, together. We do it on laptops if we have to, but we help you figure out what happened this week and, and, and what was the point? What can we learn from it? And uh, we're still streaming the show, actually. We're just not going to be, uh, we'll be looking at each other and not at you. I hope you don't mind. hope that's not rude. You can still watch us do the show uh, because we're on YouTube and Facebook. You just search KUOW Public Radio. We're all in masks, by the way. I can't tell if we sound muffled to listeners or not, but we're figuring it out. Yes? Yeah, so since we're talking about that, let's start off our uh, week in review right on that very topic, because the President of the United States this week was walking around looking at cars, and uh, this is on CBS's 60 Minutes, and he was asked a simple question. Mr. President, first Detroit auto show in three years. Yeah. Is the pandemic over? The pandemic is over. We still have a problem with COVID. We're still doing a lot of work on it. Uh, it's But the pandemic is over. If you notice, no one's wearing masks. Everybody seems to be in pretty good shape. And so I think it's changing, and I think this is a perfect example of it. He said it twice, health reporter Joanne Silberner, the pandemic is over. And I wonder, I thought of you, how would you have answered that question? No, it's not over and we're heading to winter. We have every reason to be concerned and we have every reason to be vaccinated. You know, there are issue, questions about masking. We might, maybe we'll talk about that later, but no, it is not over. There's no official public health definition of when is it over. There's not even an official clear definition of when a pandemic starts. Mm-hmm. We have how many people? I, I wrote the numbers down here so I wouldn't forget. Uh, we have uh, 30,000 people hospitalized in the U.S. We have, uh, tell, you know, tell the 300 to 400 people who are going to die today that the pandemic's over. I'm sure they'll be glad to hear it. We've got 10 deaths a day in Washington State. No, the pandemic is not over. I hear two things. I hear there's no definition, and I hear it's not over. For example, I know people, the comparison to the flu an- annoys people for, for good reasons, but everything isn't a pandemic just because people die of it every day. So how would you, so you're, but, but if you were president, you would have been not nuanced about it. The pandemic is not over. No, and let me point out that there's still a national public health emergency. It's renewed every three months. The last renewal was July 15th. It'll be, my suspicion is it will be renewed again October 15th. So his his Department of Health and Human Services is saying, no, it's not over. Half of the epidemiologists I know have been all over Twitter saying, ah, just screaming. You know, it, it's 
and it's unfortunate that there's no clear scientific thing that says when you go from this many numbers to this many numbers. But I would say that just the 300 to 400 deaths a day yeah. are an indication that it's not over. So I just came back from a trip to the East Coast and Europe, and I have to tell you the traveling public certainly thinks that COVID is over. I'd say just for the different places I was, maybe 10% wearing masks. Kudos to KUOW for agreeing that we should wear masks today just to be extra careful. And that cautionary note that you hear way too too often, I'm a, and I'm about to add to it, um, you may think you're done with COVID, but COVID may or may not be done with you. I think I changed it a little bit. I'm a little worried about the fall, that new vaccine, because because so few people are wearing masks and because people, vaccines are such a, you know, hot button issue, which they should not be. I'm afraid that no one will take advantage of or not, not enough people will take advantage of that vaccine. Yeah, I'm at the I mean, I the only the only uh, I guess point I, I wouldn't say agree with him, but I suppose if you look around at what restrictions are in place around COVID, I, I think there are I can't think of any anymore. Uh, and so I suppose from that perspective, you know, if you were to try and give him the benefit of the doubt, because I do agree when you look at the numbers, no, the pandemic is not over. Um, if you're trying to give him the benefit of the doubt. It seems like he was talking about response to that as far as restrictions and things like that go. So if that's your definition of pandemic, which is uh, we have restricted um, certain activities or made certain requirements around masking or vaccinations, from that perspective, then, uh, you know, there are the pandemic is over because well, there there are almost zero restrictions at this point. Washington but, State recent, recently ended its right. state of emergency. So, Well, the state of emergency in Washington is scheduled to end at oh, the end right. of October. Scheduled to end. There is, there is still, and that, that includes the, the vaccine mandate for private health care and education workers, but there still and is going to be remaining a vaccine mandate for Washington state employees, workers at most state agencies, mm-hmm. right, Joanne? Right. Yeah, and what, what Governor Inslee said was he said, ending this order does not mean we take it less seriously or we'll lose focus on how this virus has changed the way we live. And that's the problem with the pandemic that goes on and on and on, is that we have we have adjusted to it. Many people have had COVID. People have stopped and have had COVID a second time. You know, a lot of people think having it once means you're not going to get it again. It's not so. But, you know, I think he dropped the order. I mean, I'm not inside his head, but I think he dropped the order just to reflect that people are tired. And he dropped, you know, some of the restrictions. There's also an election coming up. And there's an ele- that's really important. The amount of politics is, that has entered this Public health emergency is it shouldn't be called a public health emergency anymore. It's a political emergency. And that's how it's being treated. Well, I found it very interesting that instead of uh, the governor is retaining the requirement that you have a vaccine, but on boosters, he's offering bonuses. Yeah, a thousand dollars, a thousand bucks. So, you know, a thousand thank yous, I guess, for getting your your booster. But think about it. If you're in government, what do you have? You have carrots and you have sticks. The sticks made Jay Inslee lose some of his um, credibility around the state and some of his popularity around the state. And so now he's offering um, a thousand carrots. I think that's pretty, <laughs> Be- pretty Before good we leave idea. that topic, I just also want to point out that the Federation of State Employees is a major donor to Governor Inslee and, uh. and Democrat. You, you can draw your own conclusions, but that's fair to keep in mind. Yeah. 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 Uh, by the way, we asked our um, 
our listeners. We have a community feedback club. We wanted to know, is the pandemic over? (laughs) 61% of the respondents said no. 24% yes. 16% undecided. There's nothing scientific about this, right? But we asked. Um, But a couple of comments I found interesting. Samuel says, no, the pandemic's not over. Samuel says, I'm high risk. If I catch COVID, I could die. I'm trying to be mindful that most folks are healthier than I am, but I'm also profoundly aware of the tyranny of the majority. The more my neighbors and coworkers move forward out of their experience of this pandemic, the more they force me backward into stricter mitigation efforts and less participation in normal life. Tina says, yes, the pandemic is over, but I do still wear a mask in large indoor spaces. So there's an example of you can think the pandemic is over and and yet masking you've gotten used to your masking and you know maybe to some people that's a contradiction but we're all figuring this out separately i think with fall uh arriving this week and that was a gorgeous gorgeous summer where you could be outside just a ton Mm -hmm. but with fall coming everyone is going to have to make their own calculation for every event um, you know, what's my risk? What what should I do? Should I not go? Should I wear the, you know, I had two masks on earlier. Now I have one. Um, you know, what, you know, what am I doing here and what's safe? And it's, most people just don't want COVID uh, if they can get, if they cannot. And so they have to make those more and more because the colder weather's coming, more and more calculations like that. It's it's rough. It's it's not the best of circumstances. No, Which what, is I'm, what I'm hoping for is that more data are coming. I mean, we don't even have data on the Omicron vaccine, which I just got. You know, and normally I wait a year after something comes on the market, which has already been fully tested. The, the, you know, there's so much we don't know. And how was the vaccine? Did it did it perform like the other ones? You know, sort of kick back the next day or how well for it? me I, i've gotten no reactions to any of them that was my oh, fourth vaccine wow, so it makes me really kind of worried like is it doing it right you do you want a little reaction i didn't get any yeah, yeah it's but working. to you know to, to joni's point I, I i think um you know i i don't know whether the pandemic's over or not i think in some ways it feels a little semantic to me which is mm-hmm. what your definition of pandemic mm-hmm. actually is but the the, like, the like clear it's over shift me right, the, <laughs> the, the, the clear shift though is to what Joni was saying, which is um, it is now almost exclusively an individual preference. It is now, you know, people tell you gauge your level of comfort. You decide how, when and where you want to wear a mask, whereas which is very, very different than it was for the first few years, which is it was um, a recognition that individual preferences had uh, effects on other people, too. And so therefore, we're setting these rules around how you can or cannot behave and that that period is done you know that it is now a question of individual choice for better or worse and i think you know for some people that would be worse certainly um and so uh it, you know fr- from that perspective you know and just think about the like political will right now i i don't think there's um a politician on the planet right now who would consider reintroducing mm-hmm. lockdowns into restaurants or anything like that i just mm-hmm. don't think it's I don't think it's there. No, yeah. Even right. New Zealand, you know, walked it back. Yeah, exactly. Um, After being successful. <laughs> but, you know, that a lot of us have changed and a lot of the businesses have changed. So you'll notice that if you go to a restaurant, that in, and even if it's going to be colder, they'll open the door. They'll open f- five windows. They'll, they've changed, too, because they're protecting their employees and their customers. And it seems like everybody had to adapt, and we've all become, you know, Better at it, not great, but better at it. 
Yeah, I wonder how cold my bus is going to get. Do we get <laughs> it's too cold. Into the winter, am I, at, at what point, if I, if I got to keep riding this thing? Can um, I sell you some hand warmers? Absolutely. <laughs> um, maybe one more thing here. I just I want to pass on a, because uh, I really, and David, I appreciate what you said. I want to represent the point of view um, that this is a listener named Samos who doesn't hear this enough on KUOW. Samos says, I'm really frustrated with all the current masking bias on KUOW. <laughs> I'm not an anti-masker. In fact, I'm a critical care nurse who worked with COVID patients throughout the pandemic. I have had COVID. I've been boosted. You cannot expect everyone to wear masks for the rest of their lives. Get vaccinated and move on. I would like to hear more from the perspectives of rational people who have legitimate reasons for not wanting to continue to wear masks into perpetuity. Obviously, I don't mean conspiratorial anti-maskers or right-wing nuts. I'm actually quite liberal. But Seattle's obsession with masking has really become weird, neurotic, and paranoid. And this seems to be often well represented by KUOW reporters continuing to talk about how uncomfortable they are going out in public without masks. But I don't know. I don't know that that's true. I mean, I I, I think that there is. No, there are, you know, even on public transportation, there's no requirement that you wear a mask. There's there you every now and then you see a restaurant that says, you know, please, we encourage you to wear a mask. But um, again, like I was saying before, it is it feels very squarely in the realm of individual choice at this point. It is. But this listener is saying, okay, with the mask, it's not that big a deal. I'm, I'm not I'm not endorsing their opinion but i'm representing yeah that, that yeah. i know yeah, yeah. i know people like who feel that way oh, well yeah. yeah so seattle you know follows the rules that's one of the reasons jay ansley or washington state it can get up there and say we had really good numbers compared to other states we we are rule followers here we have been and so maybe we overdo masks but sometimes when when i hear something like that i think of like a restaurant that says masks only and what you don't know, did, did half their staff just go out with COVID and so they're protecting the other staff? You don't know what's behind these things. And it would be, it, you can always ask if you think they're overdoing it, but but ask. Maybe, you know, maybe they have someone who's compromised. Who knows? Yeah, right. I think the public health point of view on this is mask. You know, it, it, people are pretty agreed about that in the public health community. What's lacking... Well, what about them? Masks do make... Mass make a difference. Some kind. We don't know. We, it's hard to quantify. Well, but it has been. They quantified. don't make us more more uh, endangered or the same. They make us more safe. Masks make us. There's absolutely more safe. solid data on pre Omicron days. There's yeah. multiple studies in multiple areas. Masks absolutely. They don't take it to zero, and nobody's ever said they take it to zero, but yeah. they reduce it. Question. I think there's a valid question with Omicron. That that's another place where we really need data because Omicron's far more infectious. It takes fewer viruses, so just a few leaking out or a few sticking in the air. But that said, not wearing a mask has to add to that. You know, wearing a mask, even if it's a little bit less effective, it's still part of the. It, well, it, there's a Swiss cheese idea about how to approach this incredibly weird virus. And that is, you have lots of things that will protect you almost, but there are holes in it. So with vaccines, they don't work on everybody. They take a while to kick in. They wear off. So there are holes in that one. With masks, they're not 100% effective. So there are holes in that one. But you line up all the... And social distancing, it's good. But if there's bad air circulation, you know, you might be distant, but in a room where there's no new air coming in, you're in so trouble. Vent, so ventilation is one of those layers. Ventilation is a layer. You yeah. need to put these layers on, and you take one off, and you're just adding a few holes. You're just letting a few holes go in. And, and it's you know, a if you take 
various different pieces of sliced cheese and put them on top of each other, some of the holes get covered. Right, that's, that's the, the point. idea. You, that's, you that's put the you theory. put these together, the holes get covered, and you take one out. Well, you've got a few more holes. So, it's a matter of degree, and I know people are tired. I really do, but you got to do it. Well, before we, we, we people pro- might be tired right now. So we're going to talk about other things. <laughs> I can I, feel it. Two things we didn't we didn't hit on. Number one, uh, I now because I I have an employer who generously provides endless boxes of N95s with little you know uh, fold the wire that folds over my nose. It doesn't even fog my glasses up. So I'm just saying, uh, not all masks are eat. the same. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. And, and number two. I on again on behalf or uh, in defense of I guess in love for this listener, uh, they, they also say they don't protect you when you're in your car working in the yard or taking a walk. Yet this is a <laughs> constant sight here in Seattle. <laughs> yeah, and that, you could, that, you know, right? Yeah. And you could say, well, yeah. why are you so bothered by somebody else working in the yard with a mask? But I also understand whether you think it's rational or not. I know somebody they want to be over it. They want to see people smile. I can't see any of your smiles. You know. I, I just, I can understand, even if I don't, I do, Samos, yeah, I, do I understand. And I, you don't need it in your garden, and you don't need it in your car if you're the only person in the car. I wear it in my garden for allergies sometimes. See, that's what I was going to say. the smoke? That's what I was going to say. People yeah. are wearing it for smoke, for oh, dust, yeah. I put them for on pollen, for, for all these kinds of things. So, no. By the way, okay, last thing, if you want to join our Community Feedback Club, and, and then you just text us. The phone number is 206-926-9955. That's 926-9955. You just text the word club. Okay, should we talk about other things in, on the Week in Review? Let's. Uh, by the way, I'm Bill Radke, and my panel here is David Croman from the Seattle Times, Joanne Silberner, independent healthcare journalist, and Joni Balter, a political analyst, contributing columnist. So... Uh, let's talk about Seattle's newest. Well, that, not that's not official. This week, Seattle's mayor announced he wants his interim police chief, Adrian Diaz, to officially have that job. The city council is, I think, expected to approve the choice, I assume. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm going to play two expert excerpts from this week's news conference, Joni, and I, I, I will talk, we'll all talk, but I'll start with you. I'd like your take. This is first Adrian Diaz saying... Uh, Thank you. And I'm optimistic Seattle can recover from two years of trauma. There's no question that the past two years have been difficult. Terror is in the social fabric so necessary to support a healthy society have ripped wide open as so many of the resources available pre-pandemic have been reduced. Staffing challenges amidst rising calls for service puts enormous strain on our officers, making it critical that we invest in resources to keep our officers healthy and safe. At the same time, violent crime is at a 25-year high and disproportionately felt in communities of color. Therefore, we cannot be passive. Our city requires action on crime, on gun violence, on perceived and real issues of safety. We can pour through all the statistics in the city and have the necessary nuanced conversations, but at the end of the day, we know Seattleites are demanding the safer city they deserve. We refuse to accept the status quo and want to build the most innovative department in the country from technology to community partnerships, new ideas to real action. The police can't solve every problem. That's why I've championed the SPD co-responder unit with mental health professionals, community service officers, created partnerships with community-based organizations, and supported diversifying emergency responses. 
I want to thank the men and women of this department for their hard work over the past two years and into the future. Your dedication to our city is recognized. Our city is better due to your service. And daily I hear from community members across all sectors of this city praising the dedication and compassionate work of our officers. Okay, so some positive words there from the the mayor's selection to stay where he is and keep being the police chief. I'm going to play one more thing, which is the police chief search committee included the city council president, Deborah Juarez, who said the search process also gave her hope. It was probably one of the most honest, raw, emotional meetings that we had because we had to talk about not only the consent decree, we had to talk about the last two years, the elephant in the room, defund the police. We had to talk about the spike in crime. We had to talk about the length of 911 calls. We had to talk about the homeless issues and the intersectionality there. But I think the thing I was most impressed with and um, made me proud is I felt, and I don't always feel this way, I was finally in a safe room where people could say what they really feel and believe because they love this city without being called a name, without getting a death threat, without people coming to their homes. You can say, I don't want, and I'm concerned about homeless people, that doesn't mean that you want to criminalize the homeless. You can say, um, I am not happy with the police, and that doesn't mean that you hate the police. But what I finally found in my heart, and I want to thank the mayor for this because I did not want to be on this search thing. I actually said no twice. I said I will be on it if Gabe Galanda is on it with me and Esther Lacero from the Salient Health Board. Because whatever you think about those two, one thing I know about them, because they were like me raised in Indian country, is we wanted to do it in a good way and be honest and call out our flaws and be honest about it and not point fingers. We did not want this to turn into performative gestures, politicizing it, virtue signaling, all that bull****. Uh-uh. No. We are going to talk about our city is hurting. It needs to be healed. Great candidates. I'm telling you, it was really hard. Great candidates on paper, great candidates in interviews. But what I found to me that, that spoke to me, because I, I know Chief Diaz, I've known him for many years, is I think what we, we found in him, and actually a couple other candidates as well, when we came down to the three, is there's this organic feel and love for this city. Okay. That was the city council president. Wow. And the interim police chief, maybe to be the police chief, police chief. Joni, was the, were those all just pretty words, or did they tell us anything important? I thought they were very powerful words, to tell you the truth. Um, and they both got at this this point that, that I feel. Look, for two, I guess it's two-plus years, we've had this really contentious framing in this city. Defund or not defund? I think with the, with the hiring, and I'll get to the, the number of votes there in a second, of Chief Adrian Diaz, that debate is over. We're down 400 to 500 police officers. Crime is up. People want the police. They want, as, as Mayor Bruce Harrell would say, the right kind of police. He always says that. But they want police and they want to feel protected. Uh, so the mayor does have the votes for this, I'm told by everybody I've talked to, something like six or seven votes, which should be enough. Um, and so he will be a, 
approved. Very likely. Very likely. Uh, I was. I found the words of uh, Council President Deborah Juarez very powerful there, and she doesn't mince words, as you heard. <laughs> um, remember, Deborah Juarez was one of two people who refused to sign on to the uh, defund by fifty percent, and the aftermath of that for her, and I talked to her so many times I can't even tell you, was that there were protesters going to her house, harassing her and her family. And so that's why she said no uh, to the request. Do you want to be involved in police matters? (laughs) Absolutely not. But, uh, you know, it's interesting to me that she did go in there. So, you know, so who is Adrian Diaz and how is he new for us? Well, so he's been interim since Carmen Best left. Uh, he um, is of the community, is what everyone will tell you. You know, he's had a long career working on community policing, youth violence prevention, and he's there um, now. He can become the new chief. You know, as an interim, you can't really do that much because people just um, attack you, and then you won't be the the final police chief. So he is described to me as a change agent. But somebody who will work with, um, you know, what is the name of that group? Um, uh, before, what was it called? Before the badge. This is something he's going to bring to the new officers. He talked about how the, the police uh, force is hurting. But the new recruits, they want them to understand the communities. And so they have this extra training program before you go to the state training program to get to know the community that you're going to serve. And I, you know, that's that sounds hopeful to me. But Johnny, that sounds reformist. He, yeah, he, he saw what happened to Carmen Best. He saw the defunding. He saw the, you know, the effort to take away what she had done in terms of hiring uh, minority members. Why would he take this job? Maybe he loves policing. Maybe he really thinks he can can bring the the needed change and lead the department forward after a really painful period for everybody. I mean, nobody had a good time during this time. But I didn't think that defunding much happened. No. 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 no there, go ahead. Go ahead. No, there were, there were never. I mean, it, there were cuts to the budget, which um, sound bigger than they actually are, because a lot of them were moving certain functions to other departments. So the big one was parking enforcement, which went from Seattle Police Department to Seattle Department of Transportation. Uh you know that's that's had some hiccups, um, but but as <laughs> yeah, far as as far as um, as far as the actual function there, it, it so far has has not really changed. There were some other, you know, the nine one one call, you know, dispatch. Um, that was actually something that experts had been calling for doing for a long time. That was moved. So so when you know you hear big numbers like twenty percent of the police department was their budget was reduced. Most of that, almost all of that, are these functions just being moved to other departments. So the, the city's still doing them; they still exist. As but they also they also defunded by default because the message of defund so they didn't actually go in there and slash all these numbers but the message of defund to the existing force was I'm out of here I'm leaving that's is, why there's so many gone yeah that which is, is certainly which is certainly an argument to be made but it's it is different than the Seattle City Council voted to defund the police and and by the way I mean some of the some of the cuts to the police department as far as directly from the police department actually Mayor Jenny Durkin also proposed in her budget so you know i i think i think there is a there's a argument to be made that the language that the seattle city council was using the 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 things that they signaled they supported you know had an effect on staffing absolutely but as far as you know the if you get into the technical the technicalities of it there was never actually any vote to cut the police department's budget um you know they recently have provided 
the Seattle Police Department with the amount of money that they asked to try and bring in new recruits. The biggest well, debate. No, I mean originally Councilmember Sarah Nelson thought that all the, that all the savings were potentially available for recruiting and bonuses, and they did about I don't know a third or a half of that so right. far. But uh, right. but I hear the mayor's budget. Uh, we'll even increase that more for re- re- hiring and bonuses and retention and all that good stuff. Right, right. I mean, yeah, there's 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 a lot of nuance and sort of technicalities in here. But, you know, th- I do think that that's something that has been a little bit lost in translation, which is there was never actually any sort of like major defund vote. That said, of course, you know, th- Joni's right. Seven out of nine of them said at one point that they supported the idea of defunding by 50%. Mm-hmm. I think even in that, there's some nuance. Some, you know, Council Member Shama Sawant was ready to do it the next day. Others were saying, well, I'm sort of, if we can eventually get to a place where 50% of the police department is no longer necessary, I support that. And, you know, there's mm-hmm. kind of a spectrum there. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you said, Joni, that y- you thought Adrian Diaz's appointment was kind of the end of the defund conversation. I, I would actually put it a little further back in some ways, which is, I think the election was fairly clearly that, about that. Um, I, I don't, I I don't know both, that I would say both it was... both are markers on that. And so good point. I, yes, the election said we don't like this. Yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't know that I would say, you know, and I, I never say any conversation is over because um, there are plenty of lots of people in the city who would like to continue to talk about defunding the police department. But when you look at electorally, it, it's fairly clear where the majority of Seattle was at on that because Bruce Harrell was clear in his campaign that he did not support defunding the police. Um, and he won by a, a, a wide margin. So seventeen yeah. points. Yeah. Okay. Shall we? That that's the uh, the news that um, Adrian Diaz is the mayor's choice for police chief, and Joni's telling us that that's going to go through. City council is going to say yes to that. There is a new, officially, officially, a new <laughs> transportation chief mm. in Seattle, and this doesn't just affect you if you live in Seattle. You can work in Seattle, visit Seattle. You're going to come up. With uh, You're going to be affected by uh, decisions that this person makes. So we're going to take a short break, and we're going to get into that and more when we continue on with the Week in Review. Stick around. This is KUOW's Week in Review. We're figuring out what happened in the news, and we've got the transportation reporter for the Seattle Times, David Croman, who's well set up to uh, lead our <laughs> next discussion. We have independent healthcare journalist Joe Ansel Berner and political analyst Joni Balter. Uh, I'm Bill Radke, by the way. So, continuing on, you, as I say, you don't have to live in Seattle to be affected by decisions made by Greg Spots, the new head of the Seattle Transportation Department. This is the new guy saying that a top priority is reducing traffic deaths, which who's going to argue with that? Except I do want to ask you, David, about some of the implications of this. So let's hear a little bit of Greg's spots. You know, a lot of like good work and smart interventions have been made on Seattle streets to make them safer. But like many other cities in the U.S., the number of people killed and seriously injured in traffic crashes has gone up rather than down during the pandemic. Anecdotally, folks often feel that, you know, there's less congestion, so higher traffic speeds. Higher speeds mean uh, more serious injuries. But I've commissioned a top-to-bottom review of Vision Zero. Uh, I want to know, you know, what's working, what's not, and have some findings and recommendations about how we can, like, best evolve that program 
to get the outcome that we all want, which is to dramatically reduce serious injuries and deaths on our streets. Okay, so David, here's what I want to know. (laughs) Number one, does reducing traffic injuries and deaths mean slowing cars down? And does it mean uh, more bus lanes, more protected bike lanes, more enforcement cameras, traffic calming, which means narrowing the roads and spots, raising the crosswalks so they're like speed bumps, giving crosswalkers a head start, banning the right turn on red as New York City does. I mean, to actually, are we talking about measures that will make it more of a drag to drive and will Seattle be okay with that? Yeah, no comment on whether on the drag to drive part. Uh, but why not? I, I think <laughs> is it too subjective? It's too subjective for me. But oh. but I do think that the answer to that is is at least is basically yes that that is what that means because um, you know well I'll say about Greg Spots the thing that sort of surprised me a little bit is he is um, he's really speaking the language of you know so called urbanists which is uh, around um, like you said sort of more structural changes to how traffic moves uh, and how people move and, you know, bicycles, pedestrians move through a city in a way that, you know, on the campaign trail when Bruce Harrell was running, I, I'm not sure this is, he's um, the director I would have necessarily guessed would have gotten the nomination Mm. um, because, you know, he, he does kind of speak, um, speak a game that I think at least to my, to my sort of perception on the campaign trail probably would have appealed more to Lorena Gonzalez voters in some ways. But anyway, that's, that's sort of an aside, but, um, when it comes to traffic deaths, you know, as he mentioned, they're up across the country. So this is not just a Seattle thing. Um, we are seeing a turn, though, in how people think about those deaths away from, you know, if we just do more education, if we just tell people to slow down, that we can bring down traffic deaths. The, the new kind of way of thinking about traffic deaths, well, maybe not new, but new to Americans, uh, at least, is um, people are going to make mistakes and does the system that we have built accommodate for those mistakes? Sort of assuming that people are basically not very good drivers. And so how mm-hmm. do you prevent them from killing people in the process? And the answer to that is you you make the streets so that they're not going as fast. Um, they're not sharing the street as much with pedestrians and bikers. Um, and so, yes, I think the, that's a long-winded answer to your question about does it mean all those changes? Uh, I think Greg Spots would probably say Yes. Um, can I just say this about Greg Spots? You know, I've never met him. I listened to KUOW's fine interview with him. But just from a, as a, somebody reading about him, next time I interview for a major job, I am calling him up. I hope you hear me now, Greg. <laughs> uh, I want you to coach me for that interview. I mean, I feel like he said everything. That <laughs> he was more, you know, he's from out of town, uh, currently from L.A., but he said the he was more Seattle than Seattle is how I felt about some of his quotes. Like I, I wrote a few of them down. Give me a second here. Um, he he preaches the benefits. This is from one of the stories of holistic, multi-benefit streetscapes. He mm. promised to go car free for I thought it was a month, but I think it's more three than months. From, three months. Three months. Three months. So he's trying every form of transportation in the city. I mean, he just studied this place. To I can see why 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 Mayor Harold did pick him because he studied this place. Oh man, he walks the walk. I I wrote down a quote myself. Oh, go he ahead. said, "How do we build complete streets where transit has a place, where pedestrians have a place, where cyclists have a place?" I mean, that's just brilliant. <laughs> and and the, 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 the three months he just does it all right there. And then the three months 
of uh, taking, you know, not not using a car. I mean, that's really, uh, you'll excuse me, walking the walk. <laughs> Did I he mean, promise not to use Uber or Lyft either? No, no, oh, he I will have... use Uber or Lyft. He's using oh. all the transportation systems that well, are available. Well, if you can afford that, that makes it easier than I have. <laughs> well, but, I mean, he even car. rides the streetcar. I mean, yeah. Yeah. oh, my God, he <laughs> yeah. rides the streetcar? Is and he going to complete the streetcar? That's a good that? question. That's I want to know, David. Question. Well, that's that's the thing. That's that's my question. So I agree he's, he he talks a good talk and actually when you talk to people in los angeles he he seems to mean it when you when you hear from people who interacted with him and worked with him they say yeah i mean sometimes i didn't really believe that he meant what he was saying but then he would kind of act on it one guy told me that if he didn't know whether he thought a project was good or not he would just look to see if greg spots was in the photo because if he was in the photo (laughs) that would mean that he probably is doing a pretty good project so at least in la at least as a bureaucrat in la i do think that um the sense i get from from people down there is the things he says are the things he actually means. The question for me, though, is, and this gets back to the streetcar, um, <laughs> can, can can that translate to, A, being the leader of that department? Can you be that kind of hands-on, on-the-street person all the time? And then, you know, there's the Seattle process. Can, can he do that as one member of uh, a large city government? And so the streetcar, I think, is kind of a great symbol of that, which is that has been in limbo for as Basically, because it got so bloody expensive and very few people ride those things. But it doesn't well, we go can, through. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> I think I, we, could spend, a whole show, yeah, we yeah. could spend a whole show just talking about whether, you know, the streetcar debates. But it is a good symbol of uh, the Seattle process of uh, it has been studied and studied and studied. And in fact, now it has been in limbo for so long, all, all those studies probably need to be redone anyway. Because um, everything's going to cost more than it already does. Maybe, and it's yeah. Mind- uh, so so I think, I think <laughs> really the streetcar, the decision on the streetcar comes down to Bruce Harrell, but I think it's an interesting question of, is Greg Spots the guy who can ascend above the Seattle process, or will he, will it pull him down uh, along with it? Can I just put this into a different context? So I've heard a, some of Bruce Harrell's critics say, Where's his team? You know, the mayor's really slow out of the gate in assembling his team. This is September, uh, nine months into his term. The two top positions that you have to fill if you want to have a team um, are being filled or have been filled this this exact month. So that's just in sort of the context of how is he as a mayor? What's he going to accomplish this year? So these are your two top, and they, they appear like they will be done. Can I ask you about, since we were talking streets and transit, the, yeah. uh, this is kind of a police question, too, but this, the, the hot spot, so the crime hot spot, so-called, of 3rd Avenue, yeah. that's where all the buses are. Not all yeah. of them, obviously, but, I mean, am I the only one who's avoided 3rd Avenue for years? I Absolutely. mean, it's just the places where you. all the buses go. That's right. I, I, will not go, I don't like to catch a bus there. I don't like to be there. Okay. Yeah. So it's not vibrant, as they say. But and, and aren't you reporting on this, David? What are they going to do about Third Avenue? Front page of the Seattle Times. Today. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, and you're the man. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it's. I mean, Third Avenue is an interesting question because it's you know it's well, obviously we've been talking about Third Avenue for for decades. I, I think it's gotten worse lately because the pandemic has really. Um, I mean, there's you go on certain blocks there, and uh, there's basically no businesses open. Yeah. Um, and so usually, you know, historically the response has been to put more police down there and and they are still doing that. But uh, the city council is now sort of talking about, well, we we can't just kind of do that in perpetuity. So maybe we should think bigger and bigger right now means uh, do we make it? So it's four lanes across. Do we make it two lanes across? 
Uh, do we send fewer buses there? Do you? How does two lanes help? Yeah. I read so, your yeah, so, diagrams and I'm like, okay, how did this fix? So the it? idea, the Walk idea is, it. the idea is that the the street right now basically only functions as a place to leave. You go there to leave. Yes. You go to Third Avenue in order to get your bus and get off of Third Avenue. Yep. And so th- then what's left behind is not a very pleasant scene. And so the current conversation now in City Hall is how do we turn it into a place that people actually want to stay and maybe, you know, quote, activate it and therefore make it a positive place rather than just a negative but place. Tell me if this is a stupid question. I'm sure what, it's not. I'm just going <laughs> to a, a big crazy what if. What if... So if businesses aren't there now anyway, what if you just stopped making it a business street and just made it a bus street and kept people safe in the bus stops? But How? But because otherwise, the buses, if they're not on third, they're just going to be on somebody else's street and clutter them up. Why, why does it have to be a business street? I think I think you could probably make the argument that it is not really a business street it, okay, right now. Right. Um, so then why but are we making it? That's the problem. There's is, no one there but the folks running onto the buses. That's, yeah, but that's that, but, the but the buses aren't someplace else. It's bus land. It's bus avenue. <laughs> so why try to make it you know skinnier and calmer? And doesn't that mean the buses are someplace else? Um, it's a complicated question. I think um, the the, the hope- complicated. Do you mean stupid? <laughs> yeah. No, no, it's not stupid at all. Um, I think that currently the environment is it's basically only serving as a bus corridor, mm-hmm. which they're saying is the problem because then again you you create a situation where there's no reason to go there and therefore it makes it easy for you know drug deals and there's a good amount of violence that happens on third avenue um not a lot of great lines of sight it's just you know anytime there's a place that's just not very pleasant to be at the things that are left behind are then themselves not necessarily that pleasant and so uh the, the hope with sort of rebuilding you know they're talking about widening the sidewalks and you know planting trees and uh Outdoor and, checkers? Yeah, maybe. An interesting <laughs> yeah. thing about Third Avenue, a really interesting thing about Third Avenue is um, it moves about the same number of people as like a similar corridor in Denver and Vancouver, but it does it with about four times the number of buses. So it's moving the same number of people, but just has so many more buses on that street. And so then therefore, anyone who's been on Third can kind of speak to this. It's loud. Uh, there's a lot of exhaust in the air. You can't even see across the street because it's just this kind of wall of buses. And so it just, you know, again, you get there and you get your bus and you want to get off. So if you can make it so it's actually maybe a pleasant place to be, maybe therefore some of the unpleasantness would go away as well. David, there's a clock over your right shoulder. I've been having so much fun seeing you all in person for a change that we've got to take a break. And then (laughs) I want to ask about, since you brought up uh, air, air quality, I want to ask our health reporter about that. That's been a big issue this week. And then we'll smile about something at the end of the show. Okay, but a quick break first. Here we go. KOW's Week in Review this week is me, Bill Radke, and Joni Balter and Joanne Silberner, and from the Seattle Times, David Croman. And uh, before we leave, Joanne, I want to go to you being our health reporter how so the the Bolt Creek fire is ninety six percent contained, but we need a container for the smoke. And I want to know uh, we're not that, no one's invented that. So how unhealthy is smoky air? Very, especially for people with asthma or any, especially for older people, especially for people with any challenges. But we hit levels that were unhealthy for everyone, which is rare. 
I mean, we, we one of those days back but then. Does I, that mean unhealthy, like you're there for one day and it's going to harm your health? Or you wouldn't want to live in air like this? Well, you certainly or, wouldn't yes. want to live in air like this. Yeah. One, one of those days, we had the most unhealthy air of any city in the world, and that includes Delhi. And I don't know whether you know anybody who lives in Delhi. I know a few people who had to move out. Mm-hmm. You know, they have growing kids. This does damage to the lungs. It's really a bad idea. And what can you do? You know, I, you can sit inside. We we have an air cleaner that, you know, is sort of okay if you're sitting in one room, but it's unhealthy. It is really scary. And I have to say it was the most apocryphal time, I think, of my life, just going outside and realizing, because I, I, I have a asthma type condition, and I couldn't really, when air hunger, when you look at all the symptoms of, uh, you know, of, of things that can happen to you physically, air hunger is among the scariest. You know, you can break your leg, you can do this, they're painful. But air hunger, where you just feel like you can't breathe, that's bad. Well, I was taken with the fact that it was one of the most smoke-free years until it wasn't. Right. But mm-hmm. if you compare it to sort of the last, I don't know, five or six or seven years, most of the summer was pretty clear, and that yes. that seemed great. I saw a story um, today in the New York Times um, that's, that kind of, scared me quite a bit because it said that the smoke from the wildfires has, as we know, worsened over the past decade. But what what we hadn't known was that it's potentially reversing the decades of improvement that we got out here in the West in air quality after the Clean Air Act. Mm -hmm. So all that work, all those changes, oh my gosh, the the smoke levels that we're becoming more and more um, used to are, are are reversing any of the progress or some of the progress that we've made. It's horrifying. Does the opening of the West Seattle Bridge <laughs> mean better air quality in the Duwamish Valley or worse air quality because it just attracts more drivers? Electric vehicles will solve it all. <laughs> I think yeah. you have one. I and do. I have one. I do. And I want one. How yeah. about that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the West Seattle Bridge, I mean, that's a happy way for this yeah. new transportation chief to start. Uh, right, isn't it? Isn't How convenient it? he got to MC the reopening of the <laughs> West Seattle Bridge uh-huh. in his first week on the job. That's like lucky that. stuff for a um, SDOT director, and that's lucky stuff for a mayor. Everybody likes openings. They don't like closings. <laughs> and nobody uh, likes maintenance, and that was the problem. <laughs> nobody right. likes maintenance. I, I did get a, a listener, a KOW listener named Jesse, said that our a discussion last week about the West Seattle Bridge was too car-centric. This is a big old enabler of climate change. And, and um, you know, I did. Uh, they wondered, is it going to be any better for cyclists than it was before? You'd think a modern bridge. These days, don't we think of cyclists in all things? Well, cyclists could always take the lower bridge, yeah. even through the whole closure, oh, okay. as well as transit. So that's true. I think that I think I, I have heard that similar criticism around it being too car-centric. And I think the... I think the criticism is towards the, uh, you know, accidental island uh, that the people yeah. in West Seattle have called them, which is, you know, and then the rebuttal to that is, well, you always could get off the island if you just took a bus. Yeah. Because um, the, the lower bridge was open to buses. Right. Um, I think, you know, for a lot of people, though, obviously having the West Seattle Bridge open, I think is a, is a big change. Is it N- the non- most used street in Seattle? Is that right? Uh, I don't I don't know the answer to that. It was 120,000, 100,000 drivers, 20,000 transit users before yeah. it closed down. I don't know how that compares. I've heard um, that. I think the biggest, I think the people who are probably feeling some of the most relief right now live in Georgetown and South Park yeah. where uh, all those drivers were detouring to and, and taking, you know. Is it dr- going to clean their air? Would they notice that? Uh, I don't know. I mean, congestion. hard to say because the air down there is already so much dirtier than the rest of the city because of uh, Boeing Field and SeaTac. Mm-hmm. But, um, 
you know, hypothetically, I think I think it will calm their neighborhood streets from people who are taking trying to take shortcuts. One more quick thing. Um, a listener says, when is WashDOT, that means state transportation, going to start making bridges look pretty? State highways are super <laughs> ugly in Washington. Put up some art. Paint them. And the West Seattle Freeway is uh, it's, it's in that category. Pretty gray. It's in the viaduct yeah. category family. Of it's pretty to be on. It's not pretty to look yeah, up at. Uh, just like the viaduct. Just like the viaduct. Um, okay. Should we, should we smile about something? Uh, before we leave, uh, I, I will. I will offer. Yeah, go ahead, John. I will. Yeah. Uh, this time of year is fabulous in the garden. So oh, yeah? it, my garden is a daily Greek salad, basically with the cucumbers and the tomatoes. Yeah. And that's what I smile at. Yeah, my neighbor dropped off some squash and zucchini too. Made a little quiche out of that. Anything else to smile at? Boy, you know, I forgot that that's always how we end the show. But uh, so I was thinking during the show, oh, my God, I can't think of anything. But then during the show, the Deborah Juarez quote, I thought, was really moving. Which and one? The, her explanation of what it was like, the process of, of picking Adrian Diaz. Mm-hmm. And, and then hearing from him, you know, as my question to Joni was, who would take this job? And then, you know, hearing him talk about it and i think okay you know this is this is a positive step and then finally the west seattle bridge opening got to smile at that okay well i can uh, nothing is is uncontroversial these days i know there are a lot of people not smiling about a so-called status quo police chief choice or that last listener was not smiling about the west seattle <laughs> bridge or maybe he was i don't know anything to smile about david yeah, I like the garden. I like the garden one. It's a good time mm-hmm. to be in, to have a garden. And we're having a lovely and warm September, so it means yeah, we can stretch the season a little I want it to rain, Jack. I don't know about you. <laughs> you yeah. may get your wish, you know. <laughs> yeah, is that I mean, right? Yeah, it it's rain? supposed to be a cold and wet winter, I thought. It's supposed oh. to be another La Nina, right? Yeah, okay. yeah third, I heard that. Third, third one in a row. Yeah. And you know how much fun that was last hey, year. Clean the air. Uh, uh, quickly, I smiled at Ray's Boathouse not selling their internet domain name to the Tampa Bay Rays. Did you see that? <laughs> it's Rays.com. Apparently, Twins.com used to belong to two twin brothers. They finally <laughs> sold out to the Minnesota Twins. Oh, that's I think, funny. I think the only other holdout is Giants.com, but that's because it belongs to the New York Giants football team, who won't give it to the San Francisco Giants baseball team. Not because it's a scrappy local seafood joint, but Ray's is holding on to Ray's. <laughs> Well, and the Mariners your... might play the Rays in the wild card, so they really can't fold right now. No, hold on, hold no. on, hold on. Last <laughs> last week we talked about if it didn't make the playoffs, what a collapse it would be. And I heard you jinxed it. <laughs> Don't jinx it. Okay, um, let's stop there before we jinx something. Will you come back again uh, in, in person if you can? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd love to. Yeah. Nice I do to weekend here. review. That would be great. Um, that I'm talking to our political analyst and contributing columnist Joni Balter. I'm talking Seattle Times transportation reporter David Croman. I'm talking independent healthcare journalist Joanne Silberner. We streamed it on YouTube and Facebook. And thank you to. Our teammates, Tio Popescu and Juan Pablo Chiquiza for that. Thank you to Bernard Wallet, who makes it sound great by uh, with, the, with the faders and the, and the knobs and the buttons. And what, what else do you have? What did I miss? That's basically what you have. Yeah. <laughs> Headphones, you know. And, um, and uh, our producer of this show is Kevin Kniestead. And Go you Kevin. make it possible because you listen to the show. And I hope you do that at least one more time. How about next week on Week in Review? Have a great weekend. See you, everybody. See ya. Yeah. See ya.